Amanda is a sweetheart, and it took very little time for the mufflers to fall in love with her, her family, her little kiddos. When the mufflers and Amanda's family met, um, crossed paths years and years ago, Amanda was young, had a couple kids. She grew up, and she absolutely positively wanted to be a wife and a mother. So she, she did it. She graduated high school, married her co- high school sweetheart, and started having children at an alarming rate. Um, she was happy. She was just happy. Amanda's this sweet, kind, uh, open heart, very quiet, very timid, very kind of subdued. Now, the mufflers are not at all. From the little ones to the big ones. And so you would think that we wouldn't make very good friends or there'd be some, some awkwardness in it, but it, we got together. It was great. They were great friends of ours. Um, Amanda was kind of a homebody, kind of quiet. There's nothing wrong with that. But she kind of felt lost in what she could do in the kingdom. She didn't have a ton of education. She didn't have a ton of experience. She really was very young, and she had a plethora of children running around, um, and that she was pointing them to Jesus. But at the same time, she was kind of perplexed on what to do in the church, how to serve God. Um, she really didn't feel like she had a lot to offer. And I would disagree, because my beautiful wife, um, we had Olivia years and years and years ago, and immediately I figured out Amanda's gift, casseroles. Have you any highlights or lowlights in life? Have you ever had love in the form of a casserole or cookies? It's just kind. It's nice. It's something to, you know, it's like, hey, I can't do or fix all your problems. But here, have a casserole. It's delightful. So through a few years of knowing Amanda and her family, um, I got to witness many friends of hers, including Stacy, um, try to encourage her to be like, you, you, you have gifts. You're a fantastic cook. You can reach others in the name of Jesus Christ with food, with other things. And little by little, she realized that she was uniquely made and she had a job. And if you run into Amanda today, that quiet wallflower who was very timid, she's now equipping and teaching young moms to minister to young moms with young kids. She took a step back and said, I'm uniquely made, God has a plan for me. Um, if you're anything like me, I've, I've been in that role of like, I'm not good enough. I've got a big mouth, I say dumb things, I've got some experience here, some experience there, but truly, what is my role? What's my responsibility? We could say, well, since I'm not as educated or I don't have as much experience as that superstar rock, uh, that rock star teacher here at church, but it's, you know, been in Sunday school for 47 years, I can't do that, so I'm just not going to step up to the plate. Sometimes we talk ourselves out of who we really are. We just finished a series on the Old Testament minor prophets last week. Now, again, minor prophets, minor in length, not importance. Um, And today, what I would love to talk about is this morning we begin a three-week look at the very last or one of the very last Old Testament prophets. You know him by the name John the Baptist. Now, before you start throwing stuff at me and saying, hey, John... He's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Gospels, that's where we find John. Um, It's an interesting thing to think about, but until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was the Old Testament era. So most, if not all, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John still operates in the Old Testament. Only until when you get to Acts and you see God's kingdom being built in the beginning of the church, you say, 
Oh, New Testament. So John the Baptist. Um, Jesus' ministry uh, was lived out about 30 to 60-ish. Let's say that, okay? Um, well, no, not 30 to 60, 30 to 35. I apologize. That was totally off. So from what we see from the, from the end of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, to the birth of Christ and even uh, the ministry of Christ is about 400 to 450 years. And in this 450 years-ish of time, there was no message from God and there was no messenger from God. For 450 plus years, God's chosen people are scattered. They've been exiled. They've been thrown out. Matter of fact, they... Um, are now in, uh, under the rule of many different nations. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Persians have come in, Greeks led by Alexander the Great, and finally the Romans came to the Promised Land and basically just took it over. They were living in a state where they could worship their God in the temple most of these years, but in all honesty, they had no control over their own land or the Promised Land God has given them. Um, John, until John was called, John the Baptist was called to ministry, um, and God built him for an incredible job. He gave John the tools to be successful in announcing to the world that the Messiah has come. 450 years, no message, no messenger, and now we have John the Baptist. And it's his job to pave the way and say, God's salvation plan is finally here. Repent. Because Jesus is coming, this is going to be fantastic. We're going to take a look at scripture right now and see what we can discover about how John the Baptist was built for this job and for this ministry. We're going to be hanging out in Matthew, so if you want to open up some Bibles, you can do old school paper, if you've got a tablet or a phone. Uh, Matthew 3, 1 through 6, you can cheat, and it's going to be up here. It's totally fine. So Matthew 3, 1 through 6 says this, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken uh, through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made out of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay, so right now we got a picture of a guy in the desert who doesn't seem to know what fashion might be. Um, so let's try to get to know John a little bit more. We can look at some scripture and we can figure out a little bit about his family. So who is John the Baptist? Um, he's the son of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Um, Zachariah and Elizabeth are youth impaired. They're old people. They're really, really old people. Um, they're in the line of priests. They have no children, and they're very sad about that. And so they just cry out to God, God, would you please give us a child? Would you please give us a child? It would just make our hearts so happy. Zechariah finds himself in the temple one day. He's, he's called to do some services there. God sends Gabriel, an angel, with this message about John. Not only is God going to give them a son, it's going to be John the Baptist. And this is what the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah about John. <laughs> All right. In Luke 1, 14 through 17, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John has an amazing backstory. Older parents, much, much older parents than, than what we would say normal. Angel visits Zachariah. Zachariah is overjoyed, kind of doesn't believe it. Eventually, John comes around. And so for the, the early part of his childhood, I can imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth telling John, John, you have purpose. We've been told to A, to name you John, and to B, because you are going to be a blessing to others. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to do amazing things to bring God glory. Can you imagine that kind of happiness in a childhood? Like, oh, you're so cute. You're so amazing. God's going to do so many great things through you. I mean, that's just a great parenting style. So John grows up with this. Now, a little more about John's relatives. Elizabeth, his mom, who is youth-impaired, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Scripture says they're related. Now, it doesn't go into huge details if they're cousins or aunts or something like that. But we have Mary, who's probably 13 to 15-ish when she's pregnant with Jesus. And we have Elizabeth, who's maybe 150. I mean, she's like 80, something like that. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, but they're actually related. Jesus and John the Baptist are somehow relatives. We don't have a clear picture in Scripture because it really doesn't give anything about any kind of interaction between Zechariah and John the Baptist until Jesus comes later in Scripture to John to be baptized. So, he's got a pretty cool family history. All right, let's look at his lifestyle real quick. We find John the Baptist living in the desert away from society. He says, you know what? I don't want to hang out in Jerusalem. I don't want to hang out in the suburbs of Jerusalem. Too many Starbucks. I'm moving to the desert where there's nobody and I'm going to choose poorly what to wear. All right, listen, I'm a big fan of honey. I like leather belts. Okay. Locusts? Really? Was it? What? That's not, okay. Well, move, move on, move on. Sometimes people like different foods. And I really shouldn't make fun of like the camel hair because it is weekly, multiple times a week. I'm about ready to leave the house when my beautiful wife goes, are you wearing that? And I'm like, I guess I'm not. And so I turn around and get dressed or, you know, do something else. Um, he's taken, um, John has taken a pledge of separation and self-imposed abstinence from drinking wine, shaving, and hanging out with dead bodies. This is kind of interesting. Remember, Gabriel says to Zechariah, this, this is what he's going to do. This is, he's going to not drink wine, he's not going to shave, and he's, he's going to not hang around dead bodies. And so Zechariah, all the childhood of John, he's like, this is what you're going to do, this is what you're going to do. We see John like three decades later living in the desert, standing firm on that promise, saying, hey, I've been given a job, I've been given some instruction, and I'm going to do it. He is into self-denial and avoiding the world's comforts and pleasures. The plan this morning is to take a look at John how he was uniquely made for this job to, again, say, I get to introduce Jesus to the world. I get to introduce God's salvation plan to all mankind. We're going to look at his role, and we're going to take a quick look, um, walk through the book called Shape to help us see how we are also uniquely made. So this is a resource that I've had for 8, 10 years, and I just fall in love with it. I've had the opportunity to use this in adult groups high school groups, junior high groups, and even some families I know have just walked through it. And basically, shape is just finding and fulfilling your unique purpose for life. John the Baptist wasn't somebody super extra special. He had a job, and he knocked it out of the park. You and I 
need to understand that we have roles in the body and the kingdom of God. We have been given gifts. We've been given experiences. We've been set up for success to point the way to Jesus and help the people around us spiritually grow or just give them a hug or a casserole sometimes. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at this. We're going to take a look at John the Baptist through the book Shape. Ephesians 2.10 is probably one of my absolute most favorite verses. It's the one that picks me up when I fall down. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. Another um, uh, translation means uh, masterpiece. So if we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Whenever I make a mistake, whenever I fall short, whenever I find myself comparing myself to other people, I come back to this verse and I remember I'm not an accident and neither are you. We are specifically and wonderfully designed to do something amazing to bring glory to God. These gifts, these, these things that God has instilled in us makes us valuable. Not, not maybe like anybody else. We are completely unique. You are not me and I'm not like you. Somebody say amen. There you go. Wouldn't it be horrible if we were all kind of the same personalities, the same kind of uh, gift strengths? Wouldn't it be just lame? God loves variety. He's given us jobs, and he's fulfilled that by giving us um, gifts and talents and abilities. So we're going to walk through um, SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, and if you want to write down some notes, you're more than welcome. If not, that's fine. I will not judge you. Um, S is for spiritual gifts. So let's look at spiritual gifts. We've been gifted greatness. A spiritual gift is a God-given special ability to share his love and strengthen the church. These gifts are given to us to share with other people, to point them to Jesus, to point them to God and say, he is our salvation plan. He is the one who is rescuing us. He is the big deal, and I am not. These gifts also are given to us so that we can help others grow spiritually, that we can strengthen the disciples, the people, the Christians around you. Notice that all of these gifts I'm about ready to go through are not for you, even though they're yours. They're for other people. And I love that. God has created us to be a part of community. Um, the New Testament has six different passages, and here's a few of the list. Uh, here's a list of just a few of them. Administration, discernment, encouragement, faith, evangelism, giving, leadership, teaching, wisdom, mercy, pastoring. Again, not a complete list. There are two ways that I feel like are easiest to figure out what you have, because all of us have it in here. I guarantee it. Two ways. Number one, you can take an online gifts test. There's a free Google this stuff or Bing if you're into that. Uh, Google free gifts or spir spir free spiritual gifts analysis test and basically answer like 100 questions and it will give you at least a step in the right direction of maybe some of your gifts. And the second one, which I think is even better than the first one, look at your spouse and ask them. Look at your parents. Look at somebody that you're really, really close with and say, hey, am I, am I somebody that that's pretty good at giving, and they're going to be like, mm, -mm no. <laughs> How about mercy? Mm, mm no, no, no. And that's fine, and that's fine. So if you want to figure out how you've been created, again, spiritual gifts, look into it. Now, what we see, John the Baptist had the spiritual gift of prophecy, the ability to serve and strengthen the body of Christ by offering messages from God that comfort, encourage, guide, warn, or reveal sin in a way that leads to repentance and spiritual growth. And that was John's job. 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now. Repent, understand. It doesn't matter if you're a religious leader. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter who you are. He would look at you and say, hey, did you know there's a perfect God that loves you beyond measure and you should worship and follow after him? Repent just basically means I'm not God. I'm not perfect and I'm going to follow him. He screams it from the mountaintop. Repent because the salvation plan is here. What about you? Can you identify a gift? A gift that would point others to Jesus or help strengthen the body? Heart, H, S, H. You got it? You know what's going on? Our heart beat for God, the, the, the passion that gets us up out of the bed. What revs your engine? What do you get really, really excited about? Our heart beat for God should bring us to weird places in the kingdom. There's some questions like, who do I care about? What needs can I meet? What causes do I want to conquer? This has come, this probably isn't a shock to you guys. I'm, I'm 38, and I love hanging out with high schoolers. Hopefully that's not just a maturity issue. It could be. But I absolutely, positively wake up and think, I get to be a part of a team that helps high school students, helps students take that next step, that next step in their faith in Jesus Christ. I am passionate about high school students. I like junior hires. They smell, but I love them. Okay, that's who I am. So from spiritual needs to emotional needs, we are built to help others through our passion. Here is a small list of um, causes that others have committed to championing for God's glory. Again, if maybe you look around and say, I love this people group, or this exists in the world and I am so mad at that, we need to do something about that. Here's, here's a list. Abortion, divorce, at-risk children, the environment, the sex industry, Poverty, the justice system, spiritual apathy, financial stewardship. Well, get your heart racing. What are you passionate about? John the Baptist had a heartbeat for those around him to follow God. His passion led him to challenge others to repent no matter the consequence. Repent. He was so worried about other people's walk with God, how they interacted with God. He would stand up no matter what the consequences were and challenged Preach, teach, push them to be in a better relationship with God. Can you identify what drives you? What desire in your heart might lead you to help others? The A is for abilities. We have strengths and abilities that are to show off God's greatness and magnitude. Some of us think we're not really good at a lot of things, or maybe we're only good at things that are not so spiritual. Listen, anything that you've just had a knack for all your life, God has given you that ability. If it's tinkering on birdhouses, if it's changing oil, if it's making a casserole, whoever you are and whatever you can do, you can do it to bring glory to God by pointing others to Jesus or helping build the body. Um, I, I don't know how to fix my stuff. I YouTube it. I hope for the best. I've had men in my life tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, man, do you know, I, I, I hear you're having a problem with your electricity at your house. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not touching it. I won't die. I'm like, how about if I walk you through that? It's fantastic. Are they doing some amazing, super spiritual thing? They're showing me love and kindness, and they're teaching me something that now I can teach to somebody else to point others to Jesus Christ. Our abilities are important, even if you don't think they're super uber spiritual. 
Let's throw out a couple common abilities and see if this, uh, any of these resonate with you. Writing, learning, cooking, building, promoting, recruiting, serving, coaching, designing, managing, mentoring, researching, and performing. John the Baptist attracted crowds of people in the desert because of the gift of teaching. They came from cities to hear him, to hear what he said. These people didn't show up to see, hey, the loony in uh, you know, the camel hair, because like, that's fun for like two seconds, but it's not worth the drive to the desert. They came to hear him eloquently say, God is a big deal. Repent and follow after him. They showed up in droves because he was just an amazing teacher. Matthew 25, 23 through 25 says this. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm putting you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master said, I know you are a hard man, harvesting where you do not sow and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, there it belongs. We basically have somebody who's an employer, somebody of authority, of wealth, saying, I'm leaving for a while, and I've worked with you three people. And I've noticed that you have some abilities. And the first guy, you're like, you're, you're crushing it. You're doing a great job. I'm, I'm going to throw money at you. You do what you need to do. I just trust you. Go for it. The second guy comes and you're like, hey, I've noticed that, hey, man, you're, you're really good at this too. I'm going to give you some because I, I see really decent potential. The third guy, that's just embarrassing. He, you know, the guy walks in like, what? He's like, hey, I'm going to give you some, just a little, but I want you to do something with it. And the guy's like, hmm. So he leaves, he buries it in the ground, and the master comes back after a while. And his talents and abilities, the, three came, uh, the, the first guy came back and said, hey man, look at all this that we did. And the, and the master says, high five, great job, come in here and let's have a party. The second guy's like, hey, I, I noticed you gave the other guy more, but look, I tried really hard and this is what I did. And the master's like, hey, great job. I, I gave you a little, you did a great job with it. High five, come in here and let's party. The next guy walks in and is like, you don't trust me. That's why you only gave me like one. So I figured you're gonna be mean anyway. I just buried it. I didn't do anything. I'm still kind of bitter about that. The master looks at him and goes, really? I still gave you some abilities. I still gave you those gifts. And you do nothing with it? Get out of here. Michelangelo, the artist and engineer, not the Ninja Turtle, once said, the greater danger for most of us is that our aim is not too high and we miss it, but it's too low and we reach it. What a bummer it is that God has given us these abilities to help, to love, and we really just don't do much with it. We're not reaching our full capacity. P, personality. There's no right or wrong personality. Repeat after me. There's no right or wrong personality. There's no right or wrong personality. Hey, if you're not Tigger jumping around on stage, is that okay? Yeah. If, are you, are you kind of quiet and reserved? Is that Okay. Yes, God created all of us to be completely different, to interact with different people. What I found in the many years of ministry is that I scare quiet people. <laughs> so like if a sweet new freshman girl walks into high school, in the high school room, and we've got things going on, I'm like, hey man, it's great to have this, it's great, we're going to have such a great time. And they're like, oh no. <laughs> and that's okay because we have to build a team with a lot of different personalities and backgrounds. It doesn't, it's not right to be vocal. It's not wrong to be quiet or the other way around. We just have different personality types. It comes down to two questions. How do you relate with others? Because that's what the kingdom is all about. Jesus loves his children. We're called to love his kids. And how do you respond to opportunities? Are you high risk, low risk, 
Are you people-driven, project-driven? John the Baptist was loved by most. He took risks, but at the end of the day, he was cooperative. When Jesus came to get baptized, John had his own posse, his own crew that followed after John. And when Jesus came, John, I can, I, I can picture like his mouth going, this, this is him. This is God's salvation plan. This is the Messiah. Repent. This is the guy. This is it. This is God's promise revealed. He gets to baptize Jesus. Jesus walks away. And guess what happens to all of John's disciples, all of John's posse, all of John's crew? Guess what they do? I'm out. I'm following Jesus now. That would make sense. Did uh, John the Baptist throw a fit? Did he get angry and bitter? Or did he say, I need to be less so he can be more? Experience. Last one, S-H-A-P-E. There's a purpose in our past. God desires to take all of our past experiences, both the good and the bad, and use them for his glory. And this is kind of a difficult pill to swallow. But Genesis 50, 20 says this. You intended harm for me, but God intended it good to, uh, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in saving many lives. Joseph grew up with a bunch of brothers who were not very nice. They wanted to kill Joseph. And you would think that's bad enough until one brother's like, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's sell him. <laughs> let's make some money off this, right? He has a bad family. Ugh. Anyway, so years and years and years and years go by. Joseph is sold into slavery, and he comes into so many different situations where he's trying to do the right thing, and his life is just horrible. Trash, thrown in jail, accused of doing nothing. And he finally, kind of at the end of his life, his brothers and Joseph finally bump into each other. And Joseph's response to them was, you intended evil, but God intended good. Because of Joseph's position in Egypt, he was able to save lots of people. Because of the evil that happened in his past, Joseph could have at any second said, this is ridiculous, God, how dare you do this to me? I'm doing everything I can to follow after you, and you keep kicking me in the face. And at the end, God says, I, I have a purpose for you. I have a job for you. Allow your past, allow the healing that has come in your past, an opportunity to serve other people. If you've been divorced, guess what you can do? You can help another family out. If you've had a loss, you can stand with somebody else. Whatever your past is, if you lost a job, if, you're, if your kid tried to sell you into slavery, whatever the situation is, you have a past that God wants to use. John the Baptist was inspired by the stories of his parents. Both Zachariah and Elizabeth probably told him constantly. But most likely, because they were youth-impaired, he lost them at an early age. John could have been very bitter about that. God, how dare you take my parents away when I was 8, 10, 4, whatever it was. But he didn't. We see him 30 years later. He's standing on the promise that was made by God, and he was serving others. What areas in your past are you allowing to hold you back from ministry? My challenge for us this morning is that we take note of John the Baptist. The next few weeks, we're going to look at his mission, his vision, how he, how he interacts with other people. But I really want to encourage you that, that John was an ordinary human being like you or I who was given a job and stepped up. 
you and I can do the same thing. And when we understand that we have purpose, when we understand that God has given us spiritual gifts, passions, abilities, experiences, personalities to fit this, we are able to point people to Jesus Christ and say, he's the salvation. He's the salvation plan. And we are able to wrap our arms around our people here at church and and, and Christian communities, the disciples, the church, and help them take next steps. How different would our lives be if we were confident in the roles here in the body of Christ? What crazy things would you and I do if we said, God has specifically built me for this, and even though I don't have all the experience and all the training I need, I'm still going to go after it. How would your lives look differently? What a blessing you would be to the mufflers. And hopefully what, the, what a blessing the mufflers could be for you. If you have any questions about this, if, if you want to run to the bookstore here at Sherwood Oaks and buy, buy one of these and go through your life group, go for it. If you want to find a, a staff member here and say, hey, I want to get plugged in someplace. I'm not 100% sure what my shape is. Um, I'm round. Is that a shape? I mean, wait, 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 moving on. Bad joke. Um, but if you're looking for some answers, we would love to sit down and pray with you and talk with you. I would encourage you to run after Jesus like John the Baptist did, where he spent his entire life focused on his job, and getting it done completely.